1: They supported it. And if we don't block Fox now, they will sponsor the next one.
0: Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Claire Atkin, a former marketing specialist, who is now a co-founder at Check My Ads Institute, an ad tech watchdog working to defund purveyors of misinformation. Claire and her group are targeting the online ad spending by corporations that's done through ad tech companies. This advertising is being placed without their knowledge or at least contrary to their stated policies on sites that publish election disinformation. And it also has the unfortunate side effect of defunding real news. This is an important effort you should know about. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Claire at check my ads.
1: Hi, Claire. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
1: So my name is Claire Atkin, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Check My Ads Institute. Check My Ads is the ad tech watchdog. We're here to dismantle the disinformation economy by uncovering the relationships between ad exchanges on the ad tech system and the publishers of disinformation with which they do business.
0: Sounds like a very good mission and a needed one. Tell me a little about your background and kind of the work that you did before this and how you got into it.
1: My co-founder and I are marketers. We worked at tech companies. We were helping market the services that small businesses use to communicate to their customers. And we were concerned about the rise of the disinformation crisis. And we knew that our industry, the tech industry, was a big proponent in the election disinformation crisis that we had seen in 2016 and that we've seen grow subsequently. And so when Nandini and I met, she had been working on a campaign called Sleeping Giants, and they had successfully defunded Breitbart by about 90% after the 2016 election by just letting advertisers know that they were there because advertisers don't want their ads to be funding hate and bigotry and xenophobia. And when we met in 2019, Nandini and I were looking around, we're like, man, there's a hundred Breitbarts now. Why has this problem not been solved? And that's when we decided to start a newsletter and really learn about the ad tech industry, but in public.
0: Tell me a little about Nandini what's her background beyond sleeping giants and like how do, how does she get into this she she has a long history in marketing what's yeah
1: we're marketers she even has a degree in marketing which i don't even have like
0: she has an mba from maryland
1: she just has a degree in marketing like she's an incredible copywriter she's an incredible marketer and I actually met her because we were both in like marketing Twitter. And so uh, it was just happenstance that when we met, we both were so deeply concerned about the state of how our own economy, how our own industry was undermining democracy worldwide. And that's when we decided we really had to put our heads together and figure this thing out.
0: Are you guys located in the same place or were you doing this over the computer?
1: No, we met on Twitter. She's from the East Coast. I'm from the West Coast. We met in Vancouver in Canada when she came over to visit for a conference that she just happened to go to. I actually invited her to stay on my couch. I was like, if you need a space to stay, like you're totally welcome. She's like, oh, I have a hotel, but like let's meet up. And we ended up hanging out, I think it was like three times in three days because we just had so much to talk about.
0: So... Tell me about that kind of the founding story then and how you guys decide to make an actual organization.
1: So we started Branded in 2020. And 2020, I don't know if you remember this, was the year that the pandemic really began to take hold.
0: I have some memory of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we were learning about, well, what is the brand safety industry? Like, why has this problem of the disinformation crisis, why is this $2.6 billion disinformation economy not been solved yet? And we were diving into this brand safety technology and we're trying to figure out what was the thing that that was stopping the problem from being solved. And what we learned is that all this technology was there and it had all these promises for advertisers. Don't worry, we'll keep your ads away from all the bad things. And what they were doing was actually just blocking keywords that indicated bad things were being talked about. So these keywords are like shooting or blood or violence. And when the pandemic started, they started blocking the word coronavirus. And we launched on like two months before we realized that this was happening and that's how we got really big was we were like, wait a second, brand safety technology is blocking the news.
0: Okay, I don't really understand the world of brand safety technology. Is that an intermediary between the ad tech world or is that part of the ad tech world and the advertiser? How does that sit?
1: Brand safety technology is the additional tool that advertisers can pay for to make sure their ads never load next to content that makes their brand look bad. And the idea is that with brand safety technology, you would stay away from publishers like Breitbart or Glenn Beck's The Blaze or Steve Bannon's Real America's Voice. But what actually happens is that this technology doesn't work. And all it ends up doing is blocking news about bad things, a.k.a. cutting journalism off from the source of revenue that they so desperately need, and it actually gives white nationalism and extremism a hall pass because those publishers of disinformation, they don't use words like violence and blood. (laughs) That's not how it works.
0: Right, so it's completely askew from what it needs to do, it sounds like. Are there multiple brand safety technology companies that compete in that world what is that yeah, market yeah there's look
1: about like? 4 or 5 big ones so like integral ad science double verify grape shot is one of them comcast
0: and they're all making the same mistake they're all or they or they're making different mistakes that have the same result
1: listen you can't automate your way out of brand safety there's no way to do this you have to it's first of all this is not a page by page discussion if you're funding a organization that repeatedly publishes disinformation, but sometimes they have animal videos, those animal videos are still not brand safe. So first of all, it's a publisher by publisher or a website by website discussion, not a page by page discussion. But second of all, the page by page analysis that they do is just bad. It just doesn't work. So this whole thing, it's broken. And that's why we're in a disinformation crisis right now. It's why $2.6 billion per year is still going to disinformation that is breaking democracy globally. And so what we have to do now is have a conversation. Well, who actually has control? And when we started Check My Ads, it started as a for-profit agency to help advertisers, Fortune 500 mostly, and their departments, sort of brand, marketing, advertising, communications, all those departments, we pulled them together and we said, okay, let's check your ads, see where you're actually funding and also build brand safety guidelines so that you can communicate what is and is not appropriate use of your advertising campaign. And when we were doing that, we did that for about a year before we realized that A, we were having the same discussions over and over again with advertisers. How do you have this conversation? How do you build a rubric so that you're not having a left versus right discussion? You're having a disinformation versus journalistic standards discussion. And then second of all, The advertisers were not the ones in control. It's the ad exchanges that are in control that have all these promises to the advertisers and wrest control from them and then put their ads absolutely anywhere on the internet.
0: Okay. So the next thing I want to try to understand is this, the notion of these ad exchanges. Are there a lot of them? What does that world look like?
1: The ad exchange world is diverse and opaque. There are lots of different types of ad exchanges. Ad exchanges is an umbrella term. People in ad tech don't love the umbrella term because there's so many different types of of intermediary companies, but they're the middlemen. They're the middlemen who place ads on behalf of advertisers. And they have marketing materials that say they only work with premium publishers. They have contracts that say, we'll keep your brand safe. And they have publisher policies or supply policies that say, These are the types of websites that we will never do business with. Websites that publish election disinformation. Websites that promote real world violence. Websites that, and this is Playwire's direct language, seek to overthrow the government. (laughs) And so what we're doing at Check My Ads is we're saying, hey, look at the supply policy. Look at these promises that you've made to your clients, your advertising clients. And then you're going around and you're working with Charlie Kirk, Charlie Kirk sent 80 buses to the insurrection. I mean, you want to talk real world violence. That's outrageous.
0: So you said that's a diverse and opaque market. Are we talking about hundreds of different entities, thousands of different entities? What does that look like?
1: There are a couple dozen big ones. Okay. And, and Google is the biggest. Google funds about 80% of the disinformation economy.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> well, I thought they were not doing any evil.
1: No, they, they updated that.
0: I guess the further problem would be that there are just numerous disinformation publishers, tiny and large, right? So I assume that you have to become pretty schooled in what's going on out there. Sole operators with their fake news thing and small groups all the way up to the foxes of the world, right? Tell me a little about that about the publishers of disinformation.
1: When you map the disinformation economy, you figure out very quickly that it is a series of nodes and networks and what we do at Check My Ads is we never play in the gray area. We're never talking about, oh, this is left versus right. We're talking about the extremists who take up the most space within the disinformation economy. So when we launched our campaign to defund the insurrectionists on January 5th, a year after the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol, we listed the six biggest people who made the what we estimate to be the most money off the big lie and the insurrection. Dan Bongino, Steve Bannon, Glenn Beck, Charlie Kirk, and Tim Poole, and Fox News. And these people, they take up an incredible amount of space, and they are syndicated to a lot of other smaller disinformation networks about election disinformation. So we went right to the heart of the disinformation economy, and we said to ad exchanges, why are you still working with these people who promoted some of the biggest political violence that we've seen in America yet.
0: What kind of response did you get with that campaign?
1: Charlie Kirk was immediately defunded. We launched on January 5th. January 6th, they lost Playwire. Tim Pool, Dan Bongino, Glenn Beck, Steve Bannon, they have all lost their ad revenue in whole or in part because of this campaign. We've had an incredible level of success to date. And now on June 9th, we launched the Defund the Fox News campaign. That's when the congressional hearings started. We said, you know, we don't have to wait for Congress to hold insurrectionists accountable. You can do it today. And now we're asking how is Fox News any different from these other people who published rampant election disinformation? If anything, Fox News published it more intensely.
0: How are people responding to that?
1: Well, tens of thousands of people have signed up to send emails to ad exchanges with us. And not just ad exchanges, the people who work at ad exchanges, ad exchange executives and their legal counsel. So anyone who signs up at checkmyads.org slash fox is getting email templates in their inbox. They're getting the names of these ad executives. They're getting their email addresses. And they're getting texts that they can send to them that says, Your supply policy says this, Fox News spread disinformation 600 times in two weeks about the election. It led directly to the insurrection, and then they defended it afterwards. How are you justifying keeping Fox News in your inventory when your supply policy says no election disinformation? And so tens of thousands of people have signed up. Advertisers on their side have contacted us and said, Listen, thank you so much for doing this. We need you to get louder. We need you to be everywhere so that we can justify talking about this around the boardroom because it's sticky. We know it's sticky. It's an issue. The advertising industry, though, has said they don't want to fund disinformation. They don't want to fund things that are dangerous to society. So they have to have that conversation now. And we know so many people in advertising, in especially agencies who deeply care about this issue and they're using this campaign to have the conversations that they've been wanting to have for months.
0: I assume that the problem is that a lot of people watch Fox and a lot of these companies that when they're advertising want those people to buy their products, right?
1: There are plenty of places where people turn to for consumer products And what we're talking about here is foxnews.com, not Fox News Cable. And it's important to distinguish between those two. Now, the ad tech industry, which is the industry that is $400 to $700 billion, no one knows how big it is, but it's huge, enormous, is a propagandist's playground. Okay, now, to run a propaganda outfit, you need three things. You need legitimacy, you need money, and you need data. The legitimacy that they require comes from advertising. It is incredibly lucrative in terms of brand equity to have blue chip brands next to your disinformation. That indicates to the reader that the disinformation is of value. It is legitimized by the industry, by the brands that we trust. And so when you take that away, that hurts their legitimacy enormously. My business partner, Nandini, she likes to say, Without ads, Fox News is just Newsmax. (laughs) They'd be a joke. Now, the second thing they need, of course, money. Now, the digital supply chain might not provide Fox News with the majority of its revenue. Fine. We know about cable fees. All of that is uh, well documented. But it still helps grow and sustain their operations. Now, the third thing they need that they don't get with cable Is online, they get the personal identifiable information of Americans. And with that information, they can better and better target the people who are more susceptible to this kind of rhetoric, to this kind of myth that they are under attack, that they need to fight, all of the things that make an insurrection possible, all of the myths that undermine the big lie. And when we take them away from the digital ad industry, we are taking them away from the air and the gas and the match that is the ad tech industry for propaganda.
0: I understand what you're attacking, and I'm grateful to you for it. How do you build an organization around that? Are the companies then paying you for the work? Originally, that was the model. Are you raising money for these campaigns? What's the current business model for the Check My Ads work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, we're an American 501c3 nonprofit now. We were an agency. It used to be the advertisers would pay us to consult. And then when we realized that we were having the same conversations over and over again, that this had to be a much bigger sort of public education campaign, we became a nonprofit. That was in October of 2021, not long ago. And since then we've been raising money to build these campaigns to run education to put pressure on the ad exchanges and it's it's working
0: who is funding you? Where are you finding donors to do this work?
1: Regular folks are mostly donating like f- between five and thirty dollars a month, and I mean, that's just so powerful for us it's It's an indicator of support that we are so grateful for and I mean, we're running that on the webpage. When you go to checkmyodds.org, you can just donate monthly. We also have foundations and major donors who give us uh, funds sort of randomly when they when they learn about us.
0: How big of a dent are you making in the problem? It seems like a a giant one, like percentage wise. How far down the road are things in getting this to where we are not having? At least blue chip advertisers funding really bad stuff.
1: We have taken millions out of the disinformation economy. Uh, this is
0: millions, millions uh, as opposed to billions, though, right?
1: I think it's important to remember that this is a we're dealing with what is called like a long tail of disinformation, and we're attacking the large part of it. When you start this conversation within an industry that is so sensitive to consumer demands, I mean, advertising is for consumers. That's why this kind of pressure campaign works is because consumers, a.k.a humans who are part of society, all of us, we belong to communities that we are concerned about. When we make our voices heard by emailing the ad tech executives, by letting advertisers know through social media posts and and letters, increasingly when we are loud, we can leverage our voices to say, listen, we need you to reflect your brands better. We need you to be more careful with your brand equity because you're you're breaking our trust that you have with us. And I think that's important to remember that this is a time when you can have your voice heard.
0: How much does the deep polarization that we're dealing with in the United States affect your ability to sell this to corporations? Do you find them saying, well, this, these are all right-wing things. We're going to have to find left-wing things to turn off too. We're definitely facing a situation where a giant bulk of disinformation comes from the right and was supported by the former president and all of these henchmen of his. How do you deal with that kind of partisan polarization issue?
1: I have two ways to answer this question. The first is that when you tie your brand – which you have spent decades building, to some invisible middle between two parties, it is a weak strategic position because any one party can pull the middle by being increasingly extreme. And then what does that do to your brand? If you're tied to the middle, then you too are going to have to follow towards the extremism. So that already is a
0: I didn't quite understand that point. Try, can you try that one again?
1: Sure. When you hang your hat on being politically neutral in a world where you have people who act in bad faith to move the Overton window, to to pull political neutrality, so to speak, towards one direction or another. If you put your, your brand values, if you tie your character to a, a so-called political middle, you are putting yourself at the behest of political tides, which is strategically weak. It does not have character. So instead what we do- So
0: you're suggesting it to them that it's a bad argument for them to be making or a bad lens, basically? It's just bad business. Okay. It's just
1: weak. I mean, any marketer knows that a brand is about who you are. And if you dictate who you are by what other people do, that's a weak strategic position. Within a marketplace, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, wh- before we launched, we talked to clients of ours, old clients of ours, and we circled back. It's like you know, it's been a year. How are you? We're about to launch this new campaign, and they said, "Oh, okay, this is going to be a headache." Claire, we are fatigued. We are at war. We are dealing with supply chain issues. We are dealing with gun violence. We're dealing with reproductive rights. Every company that has a medical uh, plan is dealing with these things right now, she said. And she said, and she repeated herself, we are dealing with shooting after shooting after shooting. We are exhausted. We are tired. And we need you to get loud. We know that we need to deal with Fox News. We know that we have to address this as an issue in our ad campaigns. And we need you to be as loud as you can so that we can have the diplomatic power to have this conversation internally around the boardroom.
0: Does that mean she's saying you have to reach the top executives at my company because they're not sold on this without the power of people out there beating on their door about this? Is that, am I understanding that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, what it means is that we all as a society have to be extremely clear about the fact that Enough is enough. Advertisers sponsored the last insurrection. They funded it. They sponsored it. They supported it. And if we don't block Fox now, they will sponsor the next one.
0: When you were talking about brand safety technology, it struck me that there was an opening for somebody doing that better, doing that based on research and lists of enterprises and evaluating each one of them. Is that something that you can do, want to do, are doing, somebody else is doing? Isn't there an opening there to get that much more right?
1: I think that's a question for the industry. Why have we not taken a pragmatic approach to this? It's so basic. We know who's doing harm. We can see it with our own two eyes. Everyone can see it. Why are we trying to automate our way out of this when it's just a question of a week's research?
0: The thing that sticks in my mind about it is like, it might be very clear on insurrection and some kinds of disinformation having to do with vaccines or lots of other things that we have problems with, but there's a lot of harm being done across a wide spectrum of things Who should be the people to make those decisions?
1: Okay. Let me tell you a story. Yeah. The Gateway Pundit has been around for about a decade. And Google has had a policy that says no disinformation for, I don't even know how long. Let's say as long. Now, the Gateway Pundit has made, I think they made about a million dollars last year. It was a it was reported they made about a million dollars because Google allowed them into their what's called their inventory. And in order to get into the inventory, they would have had to apply. They would have had to fill out the application form, and they would have had to give examples of the content. And maybe they, they gave like benign examples and then got more and more radical, more and more extremist. There was a film crew out of France that went and interviewed the founder of the Gateway Pundit. And then they interviewed Google. And they went to Google France and they had a spokesperson on a couch speaking about how they have standards about who they fund and who they don't work with. And they said, "Okay, well what about the Gateway Pundit?" He said, "Oh, well they if we fund them then it's probably because of fraud that they got in." And they said, "No, listen, like here's a binder of all the content the Gateway Pundit publishes. How how have you not seen this? You've been monetizing them for years." Well, right before they published this documentary right before it launched, Google demonetized the Gateway pundit.
0: It should not take a documentary f- crew for every million dollar advertiser to get them to do that. There are too many
1: I agree and I think it shows so many things. First of all, it shows that the advertising industry has been working in relative obscurity for years, and we need to pay a lot more attention to what they're doing. And the second thing is, sunlight makes a huge difference. And when we talk about these issues, when we get loud about these issues, when the public sends emails to ad exchange executives about these issues, change happens fast.
0: Everything getting automated in that way enabled the growth of these disinformation sites, but also the centralization of it, which is bad, could also be turned in the favor of defunding, right? Because now, if you can get Google to actually do a good job and their competitors, then they're affecting so many people immediately.
1: It's hard for advertisers to know which ad exchanges to do business with because it's a very opaque industry and there's lots of options. And so when they're saying, oh, who should be our vendor? How do we make the choice? They are looking very carefully at the brand safety guidelines that that they have internally, and they're making sure it matches the ad exchange's supply policies. So these supply policies, it is a tool for advertisers to choose who to work with. Now, what that means is that Within this industry that is, by the way, extremely unregulated, reputation matters enormously. When Unruly is found to be doing business with Real America's Voice, Steve Bannon's outlet, even after we draw attention to it, advertising agencies and advertisers will pull out and choose a different ad exchange. And it is because of the competitive nature of this industry and because of its opaqueness. It's reliance on reputation that this works so well.
0: What reputation have you guys developed in this really short time that you've been doing this with the advertisers and the exchanges and so on? It seems like you're trying to to speak their language. You know what it is. You have knowledge about that. But like, what do you think that the, the reputation of your group is to the advertisers? They have to trust that you've got it right.
1: I don't think they have to trust that we've got it right. I think, first of all, we are advertisers. We are marketers. We are from this world. So already, we know that marketers find it uncomfortable that we as an industry are funding $2.6 billion of the thing that is most damaging to our society. Marketers are not just corporate shills. We are also human beings, and we actually care. I know it's hard to believe. The second thing is that we're not dictating what people do. We're just pointing out when they do it. And by pointing out the relationship between ad exchanges and disinformation, we are also pointing out that the ad exchanges are doing bad business. And I think this is a very important point. We are not just talking about what's right for our communities. We are talking about what is right for business. What is good business practice? And if you purport to have good business practice, but then you do a completely different thing from what you say you're going to do, that's going to reflect poorly on your vendor-client relationship.
0: I assume there's some companies out there that have owners that support the big lie, that support Trump that support disinformation. Have you run into them, and what percentage of the targets are in that category?
1: We don't really care about those people. I mean, those people are not the people who we're defending on the supply chain. Now, what we're talking about here is the advertiser's right to choose where their ads go if it If an advertiser chooses to be on Fox News, that's fine. That is their right. But what we're dealing with here is a default system whereby ad exchanges say, don't worry, we'll never publish your ads onto election disinformation. And then in the default settings, advertisers are having their brands unwittingly put next to some of the most vile lies that are out there today. And we're discussing this as a business practice. And we're saying we need to have a lot more transparency here.
0: You guys strike me in a certain way as unlikely change agents for such a crucial thing. When you think about the people who typically go after Breitbart or Fox News, like I talked to Angelo, I don't know if you know him at Media Matters, who has done a lot of campaigns over the years on similar things, trying to knock advertisers out or you know, I've talked to a number of people who are longtime progressive activists who've had this kind of thing in their sights. The two of you, a little bit of a different background. Where for you is the passion, which I can hear, and how you're talking about this, where's that coming from ultimately?
1: You know, uh, democracy is really good for capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> like, as a marketer, I am disturbed that my industry is undermining the very basis of our society. Like it, do, it doesn't make any sense to let extremists in the door. And I think that's just an incredibly pragmatic thing to think. Let's just not do that. Let's just not fund $2.6 billion towards disinformation. We don't have to. It's an unnecessary harm that advertisers the world over have agreed with. They don't want to fund disinformation.
0: I agree with that and I and it's a ton of money, but you didn't just agree with it. You set out to tackle it, right? And put your life for now into doing that. Right? That's that is a big step. That's a big leap and commitment.
1: Yeah, you know what? And it's annoying that I have to do this. It annoys me that after a year and a half, we're still dealing with advertising on the most nefarious publishers of the big line. We all saw the insurrection happen. It was on every single TV in America. Why the hell did we not take a stand then? Why didn't everyone unanimously do something about it? I would like to know.
0: Well, it's true across not just advertising, but a lot of other realms of our life that people have defended it and and decided that it was real, decided that, you know, that what Trump was making up had some reality to sure, it. Sure, sure, but didn't.
1: but the people who the people who know that the big lie is such is a lie. Yeah.
0: Are doing this, are are in your world.
1: The people who are still in the world because to be clear, we are not talking about two reasonable realities. We're talking about reality and a break from reality. True. We are not two-siding this. This is this is a group of people who published in bad faith again and again and again to mislead their audience, to put their own audience at risk of violence. I feel like the industry has been a victim of its own architecture for too long. And that ad exchanges have wrested control from advertisers in a way that has caused incredible damage to advertising's way of business. We've lost sight of the fact that where your ads show up matter enormously. We're talking about click-through rates, impression rates. Those don't matter as much as brand reputation. So let's talk about brand reputation. And I think to answer your question earlier, our reputation varies enormously within the ad tech industry versus the ad te- advertising industry versus the ad agencies. And I am constantly surprised at the level of support that we have received. People contact us all the time, like privately contact us all the time. They say, don't tell anyone, but FYI, we're having these conversations internally and it, your work is making a huge difference. Thank you. And that is what keeps us going.
0: So it sounds like you can, affect the brand reputation calculus within firms. Like if they are getting away with not getting hurt, I guess you can be hurt if somebody doesn't like that you're on Breitbart, but the people reading Breitbart are probably not upset with that. So you have to go outside. You have to hurt them more broadly. You have to kind of widen the circle of knowledge about where they are, advertising
1: when you understand the ad tech industry as a fuel for propaganda you immediately start looking at well how are we in a a disinformation crisis right now Uh, we can't measure how big the ad tech economy is but we can see the results of rising hate crimes of political disinformation of vaccine disinformation we can see what bad faith publication does to a society It does incredible levels of damage. And I think the only answer, as you say, is to get louder about it and to have more and more people pay attention to this economy, which is a fire hose for propaganda.
0: I I assume that when a brand places an ad, they want to have some kind of metric about how that helps them sell more mattresses, let's say. Do they make any effort to calculate reputation damage into that currently, or how can that be used to further your purposes?
1: Yeah, they have all kinds of metrics. They'll look at like how much a- attention an advertisement is likely to get on a page based on how many other ads are there, how, where is it located on a page. They will do... Polls after advertising campaigns have started. They'll do focus groups about the sentiment, about how the ad makes them feel. They care so much about this thing. And, and they've also put their blood, sweat, and tears into the campaign ahead of the launch you know, to get the copyright, to get the design right, the color schemes, everything is down to the pixel. And then to, to hand that over to an ad exchange and just say, go for it, send my ads where they will go. Is a disappointment to say the least. If you've put that much effort into what your brand is saying, but you don't pay any attention to where it goes, that is, I mean, that just hurts.
0: What is it that you've seen since you've been really digging into this that's made you the most angry?
1: <laughs> I think it's the fact that brand safety companies like flew into the rescue and then proceeded to defund the news.
0: So not only did they not do what they were supposed to do, but they also created an externality that was also bad.
1: Yeah, and we're not talking like hundreds of thousands. The Guardian in 2019, that is pre-pandemic, reported that in just four countries, I think it was the US, Japan, maybe Australia, and the UK, just in four countries alone, brand safety companies blocked three point something 3.6 billion dollars from the news
0: from legitimate purveyors of the news yes like the washington post or yeah so
1: so we're dealing with like mass layoffs and 3.6 billion dollars just disappear
0: so they're blocking reporting on bad things correct rather than people who are advancing bad things
1: let me ask you are you not infuriated right now
0: (laughs) There's so much to be angry about right now <laughs> in what's going on. It's hard to focus on, on which thing, but <laughs> this this seems like a pretty fertile ground.
1: <laughs> I mean, it took me like a few weeks to wrap my head around it. Like, I was just like, this does not compute.
0: I've only had 43 minutes so far. That's right. So like, yeah, yeah I'm just catching up with you, but you're very good at uh, articulating it. And I appreciate that. In fact, I wonder why it is that some of our elected leaders can't communicate with the kind of sharpness that you're (laughs) able to. I
1: appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) This is something that is urgent. We have to learn about this industry.
0: Who would you say are your best allies? Like, there are clearly groups out there that have corporate advertising in their sites. Some of them are racial or ethnic groups. Some of them are um, politically based. Some of them are, you know, media watchdogs, things like that. Who have you noticed that is also doing a good job if you've seen anybody?
1: There are groups of people all over the world who are trying to shed light on the disinformation economy, aka the ad tech industry and what they're doing. Stop Funding Hate in the United Kingdom and Conscious Ad Network in the United Kingdom both do an incredible job. Of course, Sleeping Giants is still at it. Media Matters is still at it. The Global Disinformation Index is doing their best to uncover the publications that most publish what they call adversarial narratives. I mean, we're all working together. We're all pulling together. And I think that is just an incredible resource. In Brussels, there's the European Disinfo Lab, of course, Joan Donovan at Harvard. There are so many people who, if you want to learn about how the disinformation economy is manipulating our media, you can turn to them. And I think it's critical to note that everyone is doing their own thing. Everyone is is shedding light on a different angle and that we need far more people in this industry. And we need far more of us to be working together and running workshops and publishing reports. And I'm just so grateful that we're one of many voices out there saying enough is enough. This is a problem. We have to fix it. It's not that hard.
0: What are the one or two changes that if you could wave a wand and make somebody behave differently – that would happen, that would, could start really turning this around?
1: The only thing that Check My Ads is asking for is transparency within the supply chain. We want to know who's working with who and who owns what entity. That's it. I mean, we can't ask for more. We're not trying to dictate people's opinions or behaviors. All we're saying is that we should have fair business practices on the industry.
0: Well, right now, if you're Coke and you're going to put out a jillion dollars to advertise plum Coke or whatever they're coming out with, who is the villain that they would go to that would just spray it all over the internet without regard to disinformation? Who is that purveyor?
1: I mean, right now it's Google. They're the ones who are funding 80% of the disinformation economy. They're the ones who in their supply policy... It's public. You can go to Google's supply policy, advertising. It comes up first. They say, we do not work with publishers who publish election disinformation. But they do. Of course they do.
0: Are there any that they don't work with?
1: The Gateway Pundit.
0: Does Google make public who they have taken off of the supply chain that they go to? No. Is Is the list of who they...
1: No, it's anecdotal. We, we will ask them directly, and they will sometimes tell us, and that's how we have that kind of information. And Google is non-transparent in even who they work with, let alone who they, who they stop working with, and it's deeply problematic.
0: One of the things that people talk about is regulating the small number of really powerful big tech companies. Could, do you think there's a regulation, a transparency regulation that could attack this? front on and and solve this problem at least informationally so that people like you and citizens more broadly could know yes who who they advertise to and yes absolutely who they don't.
1: yeah there's so many I mean the corporate transparency act has already uh become enacted and that allows FinCEN to better look up who owns what entity within the ad tech industry, I think that's helpful. And I would encourage them to do exactly that. There was a, a law that was proposed in France a couple of years ago called the Sleeping Giants Law, where they suggested that advertisers should have to publish their site list for where they got sent on the internet. Right now, the Digital Services Act in Brussels is sort of our best chance at regulation. If you do work in Europe, they're proposing that that you have to have legal representation in Europe and be held to account in Europe for any bad practices. There are some slow efforts that are our best bet at regulation to date. And I think the most important thing is to remember that, well, we have to pay attention to this industry. Advertisers should have access to the detailed logs of where their ads go so that they can audit them. And that we deserve to know which ad exchanges are working with who and who owns each ad exchange because some of them are, are really small and it's hard to tell.
0: That makes a lot of sense. What question should I have asked you that I have failed to ask you?
1: How can people support?
0: So if people are interested in your work and they would like to support what you're doing, how can they help?
1: If you're upset about the nature of the political conversation right now, if you're upset about disinformation, if you're afraid about hate crimes and the rise in bigotry and xenophobia in America, you can do something today. You can email ad tech executives and say, here's your supply policy and here's who you're working with. How do you square the two things? And what we do at Check My Ads, just go to checkmyads.org slash Fox and join our mailing list there. There's a few places where you can just give your email. We don't ask for any other information, but we do send you to your inbox, the names of ad tech executives, their email addresses, and what kind of template you can send to them. We give you a template. You can make it your own. You can say whatever you want. But this is how we are leveraging (laughs) a pressure campaign to say to ad tech executives, we see you. We see your business practices. You can no longer work in obscurity.
0: Claire, honor to talk to you. How long can you keep at this? This sounds like a trying area to tackle. It's not been very long. Is do you feel like this is something that you can put a decade or two into? Do you have hopes that you'll solve it in a shorter amount of time? Do you think about successors? What is your staying power in this space?
1: Check my ads is the first ad tech watchdog. And we need ad tech watchdogs. We're here to stay. I am here to stay. This industry has an incredible vacuum of leadership, and I think that so long as others are not doing the work, I'll be here to at least point it out. I take vacation time very seriously, and we're all taking care of each other. At Check My Ads, and and within the large and ever widening community that we have within the ad tech industry and within the advertising industry, I'm very very grateful for all the individuals who support us and who speak up on behalf of themselves and their own concerns there are thousands of people who share the same concerns as us and we see them and we see them doing the work and we believe in them
0: i'm always getting people friends acquaintances asking me what can they do about the political mess that we're in it strikes me that they should add this to the list
1: thank you you can get your voice heard. This system works. This playbook that we have, it works. We've already defunded so many people who caused the insurrection, and we can continue to do that work.
0: Well, thank you very much for taking the time with me. That was Claire Atkin. She's at checkmyads.org. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well.
1: So head on over to democracygroup.org.